I'd like to start with just a question. What do you do that requires sacrifice? Raising kids. Raising kids. How many parents would agree with that? Amen. Is it worth it? Amen. <laughs> Brian, go ahead and just nudge and do. <laughs> Staying married, does that require sacrifice? Well, you can just be all about yourself. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, that was nervous laughter. <laughs> I caught that. No, marriage takes sacrifice. A good marriage takes sacrifice. Is it worth it? Absolutely. What else do you do that takes sacrifice? Loving God. Does that take sacrifice? A lot. Sacrificing ourselves, sacrificing our time, sacrificing some of our wants and our desires, especially our tendency towards sin. What else do you do that requires sacrifice? Ministry. Ministry requires a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of other things you could do besides ministry, isn't there? You could... Well, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> we'll get there later in the sermon. No. Um, Ministry, because it's time that is taken away from something else. Anything else? I heard some answers. I didn't. Raising your kids? Absolutely. Working? Did someone say working? Providing for your family. It is, it's always interesting as, as I'm walking out the door to work and I have three little kids saying, Daddy, don't go to work. Please stay with us. Don't you love us? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do, but I love for you to eat, and I love for you. Providing for your family takes sacrifice, and that's something that I really appreciate my wife as she helps the kids understand why Daddy goes to work and, and what that sacrifice is about. Any soccer fans here? A few? I, I knew I'd get the back row there. <laughs> Today is a big day in soccer, isn't it? Women's World Cup Finals against Japan this afternoon. Do you think the Women's World Cup team has sacrificed a little bit to be there? Hours and hours and hours of practice. Hours of, of playing games. They've been over in Europe for... It's in Europe, right? Somewhere over there? Not a soccer fan, sorry. <laughs> Somewhere that way. Um, they've been over there for weeks at a time now, playing all the games and the preliminary games and the, the quarterfinals and semifinals and now the finals. And it, it's meant sacrifice away from family, sacrifice away from work and other things. And this morning we want to talk a little bit about sacrifice. Because it's interesting that really anything that is worth doing, anything big that, that we do or that God wants to do requires sacrifice. It requires some sort of choices. But I would propose this morning that those choices and that sacrifice is worth it. If we are about the right things. If we are about the right things. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And this passage is really a culmination of the three chapters before and a launching point to the three chapters that follow. It's one of those transitional passages that represents what Christ has been doing in the lives of His disciples. And if you remember, as you turn to Mark chapter 6, if you remember where we've come in the last few weeks, we've looked at four different stories where Jesus was expanding His disciples' minds, maybe even blowing their minds a little bit, of who He was. And, and He showed them that He has authority over nature. And the bigger principle was He has authority of all, over all circumstances that we encounter. 
And God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And then we saw that He has authority over the demonic and authority over Satan, authority over sin. And that is such a comfort in our lives where we still battle sin, even as believers. And we still battle our our sin nature. But we know that Jesus has power and authority over that. And then we looked at moving on to Jesus' authority over death. Jesus' authority over disease. And we saw that no matter what we face, Jesus has authority. And He has power. And He is greater. And that's what the disciples have just been through. And they were on this journey and at each stage they're like, what? That's Jesus? I didn't know that about Him. And it just expanded their mind because Jesus is systematically taking them through class and saying, this is who I am because you're about to go do something. Not just for your own knowledge, but because you're about to be on mission and be on task, this is who I am. And that's where we pick it up in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And I'd like to read through the two stories we're going to do today and then go back quickly and just make a couple observations before we have our Guatemala team share. And we're just going to look at two different observations today. But as we read the passage... Keep in mind that it's two different stories. And as Mark usually does, he's pairing stories for a reason. And in verses 1 through 6, we see an example of Jesus' mission. And Jesus brings his disciples along, and it's sort of the last day of class. I, I have one more thing to show you, one more thing to teach you. And then in verses 7 through 13, we see the sending of the disciples to do Jesus' mission. The sending of the disciples to do Jesus' mission. Starting at verse 1. He went away from there and and came to his hometown. If you remember, they had gone back to the Capernaum area and that's where he, um, the woman with the blood issue and Jairus' daughter were healed and risen from the dead. (coughs) And so we catch verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown. His hometown meaning Nazareth, where he, he was raised. And this is a little bit southwest, a little bit inland from the Sea of Galilee. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? And as Jesus returns home, he's, he's not returning home as a son or a brother. He's returning home as a rabbi with his disciples. You catch that in verse 1. His disciples followed him. And this is part of their training part of what he's teaching them. And they represent his new family that is coming. He's coming to his original family. But wouldn't that be a little strange to be coming back home as a rabbi? Mom, I'm home. I'm going to just go out and heal a few people. Maybe cast out a few demons and really tell hammer people that they need to repent. I think I'll start with my brothers. Can you see the tension? When we come home, when we come back to family, we come back to all of those relationships that we often developed growing up. All of those assumptions. And this is the group that knows us best. And this is the group that would have seen Jesus grow up and seen this carpenter and seen this ordinary little boy, quote-unquote, that could do no wrong. And that probably has its own set of annoyances with his brothers and sisters. And he comes home. And he teaches in the synagogue. And the people are astonished at his wisdom and at what he can do, the mighty works. And we pick it up in verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, 
the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us. And they took offense at him. And so they asked the question, this is just Jesus. This is an ordinary guy. He's just a carpenter. This doesn't make sense. And so they start to wonder, how can he do these things? And we should think back to when the Pharisees asked the same question. By whose power do you do these things? The power of God or the power of Satan? But they don't get it. They don't understand. It's interesting that phrase, the son of Mary, that was a phrase that you just didn't use. You didn't call someone by their mother's name. You always called them by their father's name. Even if, even if Joseph had passed away, you would have, it would have been appropriate to say son of Joseph. And so most likely this is a little bit of slander. It's a little bit of bringing up the past. Oh yeah, we remember. We remember how Mary got pregnant. We remember that that was before you were married. And so really we're just going to call him your son and not Joseph's son because he was illegitimate. And Jesus went home and he ministered. And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there. And understand, it's not that he physically couldn't do the work. It's not that he didn't have the authority. It's because of their unbelief that he chose not to. They would not respond. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Read that again. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So Jesus goes home, brings his disciples along. I have something to show you. Teaches in the synagogue, shows them how to minister, and he shows them what rejection looks like. And the work stopped. But the last part of verse 6 is the work continuing. Not in Nazareth anymore, but now Jesus said, okay, it's time. Now we go out. We spread from this area the Word of God. The message of the Gospel will spread. So in verse 7, this is the second half, where that was Jesus' mission, and now we have the apostles being sent to do Jesus' mission. And He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, not to put on two tunics. And He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. We'll explain that a little bit later. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And we see two stories about mission. Jesus' mission and the disciples' mission, which is each of our mission. What I'd like to do is, is really just work through the text, come back through it, and look at two thoughts about mission. Two things that I hope you remember this morning. The first is discipleship always involves mission. And I would put that in all caps, maybe circle it, star that, underline it. Discipleship 
always involves mission. And it involves the master's mission. See, discipleship is coming under a master and following him and copying him. Being about what he is about. And discipleship always involves Jesus' mission. For them it did. For us it does. Look at some of the verses. And I put several verses there. In verses 1 and 2, He went away from there and came to His hometown and His disciples followed Him. And so we get to see what they're following in verse 2. And He, he on the Sabbath, He began to teach in the synagogue. And so the disciples are following Him. They're copying Him. They're imitating Him. And they see Him teach. And they see Jesus reaching out to people. This is probably the second time that He's been to Nazareth. The first time He was ran out and almost killed. A year earlier probably. And here we are again. And He's reaching out to a people that will not listen to Him. But then fast forward to verse 7. And He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And that word for send there, that, that means an official representative of. He sent them out. It's the word we get apostle from. And, and that He was sending them out as His representatives in His place to do His mission. Not their mission. Not just taking a sightseeing tour, but to do the mission of Jesus Christ. What was the mission of Christ? Save the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to make fishers of men. And now He sends as His ambassadors, as His representatives, His disciples to do the same thing. And He called the twelve and He began to send them out two by two. Our mission is to represent Christ. If we are disciples, our mission is to represent Christ to a world. Think about that. Think about the impact of being His representative that people will see. Being His ambassador. And we've seen that this is a culmination or at least another step in what Jesus has been preparing them for. Flip back to Mark 1.17. When He first called the disciples, He made it very clear right from the start what the mission was. Mark 1.17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And, and everything between then and, and chapter 6 has been part of making them fishers of men. It's been part of their schooling. Look at Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Just over a couple pages. Mark chapter 3, 14 and 15. And Pastor Andrew taught on this. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles. Catch what happens next so that they might be with Him and He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Fast forward to their text today. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And He called the twelve and He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He's just doing what He said all along. He's been about mission the whole time. And He's asked His disciples to be about mission. And now they go as His representatives. It's important to remember we are those same representatives. 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul writes, 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's mission. Entrusting to us the message that we're supposed to to go out with of reconciliation. The Gospel. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. And that should make us shake and shiver. God Almighty is making His appeal through you, through me, through His disciples. And we see it in Mark 6 as Jesus sends out His disciples. Their first journey. Their first time where they are going out on their own and sharing. Think of some of the firsts. Think of the first time you let your children drive. (laughs) Think of the first time they drove by themselves. (laughs) Yesterday we we celebrated a wedding here. And if you've had children that that are married, think of that. You're sending them off into a whole new stage of life. And and there's this element of, okay, okay, I I hope that we've covered what we need to cover. I I hope this is going to work out. And this applies to anything. Sending them off to school the first time or to college. Sending them off to work the first time. And that's a little bit of the emotion that I imagine Jesus felt. Now, Jesus had the advantage that He knew how it would work out. Wouldn't that be nice? But He knew because it was His mission. And He sends them out. Verse 12 and 13 of our text of chapter 6 there, we see what they did. So they went out and proclaimed that people would repent. They proclaimed the message. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They preached the Gospel. They touched lives. They preached the Gospel. They touched lives. We said discipleship always involves mission. Doesn't mean we have to go to Guatemala, but praise God, 21 did. Doesn't mean we have to go to Portugal, praise God, we have one person there now. Praise God for all of our missionaries that are around the world, but praise God for the mission that lives next door to you. Praise God for the mission that you see every day and you'll see tomorrow morning when you go to work and you look them in the eye and say, I can't get along with that person. And that's your mission. Because our mission is to be fishers of men. And Jesus wants to make you fishers of men. Preach the Gospel. Touch lives. When we think about discipleship always involving mission, turn that around a little bit. We cannot be disciples unless we're about the Master's mission. We cannot be disciples unless we are about the Master's mission. And if we're not about His mission, preaching the Gospel, touching lives, then don't call it, we shouldn't call ourselves disciples. Because we're not. A disciple follows his Master. A disciple is about what his Master is about. It's going to take sacrifice. But is it worth it? Amen. It's worth it. That gets us to our second point. And the second point that Jesus lived in verses 1 through 6 and taught in verses 7 through 13. Mission requires sacrifice. Mission requires sacrifice. 
There's a, I, I think I put an A, B, and C in there. There's three different kinds of sacrifice that we see in this text. Possibly more, but we're going to narrow it down to three. The first is the sacrifice of loneliness. The sacrifice of loneliness or lack of respect. And we see that in verses 2 through 4, which we read through. Jesus goes, He teaches them the Sabbath. And what is the response? Praise God, we repent. No. Where did this man get these things in verse 2? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? We don't get it. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And that word offense is the word in Greek, scandalizo. And it's where we get scandalized, but it literally means a stumbling block, a hindrance. And so they, they saw Jesus' teaching and they, they knew what, where He had come from and it was a stumbling block. It was a hindrance. They couldn't get past it. And I can only imagine going back to my family, going back to my hometown and having that kind of disrespect. And that kind of complete, a, a complete ignoring of the message to the point where they literally could not accept it. And when we think of the sacrifice of mission, if we're about preaching the gospel and touching lives, one of the sacrifices we see is that of loneliness. Because people won't understand. It's a sacrifice that involves the whole family. When God called me to be a pastor and Susie and I prayed about that, we knew that that was a sacrifice that would affect our whole family and our whole extended family. When you decide to, to focus on your neighbors, to focus on preaching God's Word, you are making a sacrifice with your family. You are making a choice. And I appreciate Jesus not hiding the tough side and saying, this is your mission and it's going to be hard. We saw in Mark chapter 3 that his family even came to stop him. They just didn't understand. And in verse 4 there, we see the proverb that Jesus quotes. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, or he's despised, or he's unimportant, or insignificant, except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own household. Some have compared it to our proverb, familiarity breeds contempt. Isn't that sort of true? If you go to a conference, who's the expert? It's the one who's traveled the farthest, usually. The one who people don't know. They, they can be an expert at something, whereas someone that you know and someone that, that may even have studied something at a conference, they, they tend to not be the expert because everyone knows them. And I'm challenged by that. Because as a body, as a church, we are called to minister together and to uphold those that are ministering. And, and one of the things that, that I commend you for as a church, that I commend Village for, is we have worked diligently to let 
prophets or let people minister within our own body. We have Heather in Portugal right now. She's not taking a vacation. She's a missionary. She's a missionary. And we as a body, this is our chance to treat her as a missionary because that is what she is and to honor her in that way. I can remember when I first started attending Village and my senior year of college was asked to teach one of the, the adult classes. And with fear and trembling, I said yes, and, and I, I had no idea what I was getting into. I was just this young, young kid who, who didn't know better. And I can remember a couple people standing up and standing in the gap for me when I probably didn't deserve it. And, and Clark Kelsey, I know some of you know him, and, and he came to me and said, Ron, I think you need to do this. I think God's calling you to do this. And another gentleman that, that was an elder at the time that sat in class and defended me and supported me and said, Ron, I, I think you're right on that. And he stood in the gap and helped a prophet have honor in his own hometown. And that's what I pray village is like when we see young people trying ministry to support them, to encourage them, when the Guatemala team shares in just a few minutes to say they are our missionaries and we stand in the gap for them, we prayed for them every day, every hour of every day, and we support them. When some of our young people try their hand at teaching to support them, to encourage them, it may not be perfect the first time. It will not be perfect the first time. But it, we need to reorient how we view church. Is church a place where we come to be entertained and to, to have the very best, give us the very best message? Or is it a place that we are training people to go out for the mission and for battle? And sometimes that means taking a young man or young woman and saying, serve in this way and I will stand with you. And you will learn. And Jesus is standing in the gap with His disciples as He's about to send them out. And I encourage you to keep up the good work to encourage our young people, to encourage those that have never ministered before. It might be someone that's older that has just never tried that ministry. But may we be a church that encourages. Sacrifice of loneliness, of no one standing in the gap, but God's plan is my family will stand in the gap. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will stand in the gap. Second sacrifice we see jumping ahead to verse 8 is His instructions to the disciples. The sacrifice of loss of security and comfort. The sacrifice of loss of security and comfort. Let me start reading at verse 8. He charged them, Jesus telling His disciples, to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, which was probably a supply bag that they could bring extra things along. No money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. That's significant. The second tunic was for nighttime to stay warm at night. Some of the college students would have appreciated that last weekend as they froze to death. <laughs> yeah. And, and so Jesus said, don't even bring a second tunic because that implies that you're responsible for your own lodging, that you're responsible for your no own needs. I will provide. And Jesus says, don't take things 
that are about security. Don't wait until you have everything set up to serve. Don't wait to be about mission until everything's comfortable. Don't only be about mission when things are comfortable. In fact, let's take everything away and create a dependence on God. Take nothing extra. Now, this isn't an exact list for us as we go today. It wasn't that Guatemala team needed to go to the airport without tickets and things like this. This was a specific set of instructions for this specific mission. But the principle of dependence of God is what we would get out of this. The principle of saying, I will depend on God. I will step out in faith. And I will trust Him. See, God, Jesus wanted them to depend on God the Father. And He saw it as urgency. We can get into mind, uh, the Boy Scout mentality where we always must be prepared. And we always bring something along and everything's always taken care of. And I would argue that that takes away from the urgency of the mission. And it takes away from our dependence on God. Yes, we should do, do our best at those things. But if it's stopping the mission then we've crossed a line. What comfort is keeping you from mission? What comfort? In verse 10, Jesus says, and when He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. It's a simple little phrase, but it really was designed to combat personal comfort issues. Saying, okay, when you go, the first house that invites you in, just stay there. Even if a better offer comes, stay there. Even if you, a more comfortable offer comes, stay there. It's not about comfort. And so many times we go through life, and especially in America, and it's about comfort for us. And it's not. It's about mission. And we've got to reorient our thinking. This week I came home one of the nights and, and walk in, and, and there's this strange little girl in my house. Not Alicia. She's... Strange in a different way, in a good way. This little seven-year-old girl, I, I'm walking in, she just walks by, hi. I'm like, hi? I'm Ron. <laughs> I'm the daddy here. And, and, and walks in, uses the bathroom, gets a drink out of the fridge, and walks back outside. And Susie caught me and explained. And, and this little girl just moved in a couple doors down. And she and Mark met while they were riding bikes and and, and she's from a very difficult home situation. And so she just wants to be at our house all day, every day. And part of me at first was like, you know, this is going to interrupt schedule. It's going to interrupt what we want to do with our kids. And then God just hammered me over the head and said, this is about mission. This is about mission. She needs to come to Vacation Bible School. And we invited her. She's, at, she's not going to be home, but... She needs to be reached with the gospel. She's coming to your door and she needs to be reached with the gospel and her family needs to be reached with the gospel. See, it's about mission, not about comfort. And we need to throw comfort out the window and be about the Master's mission. I want to end with just the last one, the sacrifice of discouragement. The sacrifice of discouragement. In 5 and 6, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, I would consider that still a mighty work. <laughs> the irony there is, is rich. But he couldn't do all that he wanted to do because of their unbelief. 
In verse 11, the instructions to the disciples. And if any place which assumes that some places won't receive, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And this would just, this would just anger the Jews because when the Jews were on a trip through Gentile country, when they'd get back to the Jewish borders, they would shake out their robes and they would shake out their sandals because they would not want any heathen dust to defile the Jewish land. And so for the disciples to go to a town and, and they're not receptive and to go to the outskirts of the town and shake off the dust, that would be a clear prophetic message, you are heathen. And you are not walking with God and to leave. And in that discouragement, God gives His answer. And it's strategy. Missions is strategic. It's to reach out to all, but focus on the receptive. To reach out to all and focus on the receptive. See, Jesus taught in the synagogue in Nazareth. But when they wouldn't be receptive, He left and went to people that were. The disciples, when they were in towns, if they weren't receptive, they were to leave, give one final warning, one final chance, and then go somewhere else and share the Gospel with those that are. And in verses 12 and 13, we see the kingdom advancing. And we see the disciples obeying. Two thoughts. Discipleship always involves mission. And mission requires sacrifice. But it's worth it. And next week we'll look at what happens when they come back. It's worth it. Because God does incredible things when we're about His mission.